When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. But I mean, at the end of the day, I know the NCAA made the best decisions that they could. Everyone else that's working along with them, too. So there's no hard feelings with it. And uh, it just reminds you that, like, the world is so much bigger than basketball. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers. The Her Hoop Stats Podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Happy Monday. Or does it feel like all these days are kind of just stringing together? Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. So good to have you here. I'm your host, John Little, and I have transitioned working fully from home. I'm, I'm sure most of you are in the exact same position, um, but uh, it's working from home's never really thought something I thought I would do at this current position at uh, 1080 KRLD in Dallas. I'm a news anchor, and so well before uh, the tournaments were canceled and kind of that big pivot point in our nation, you know, we were talking about coronavirus a lot. And since then, it's just been wall-to-wall about COVID-19. And now I'm doing my, um, my anchoring, um, my uh, news work from home, from a walk-in closet inside my house. And it makes me wonder, you know, if this is 20, 25 years ago and these steps were necessary, how we would have done it with, you know, connectivity just uh, ramping up to the uh, spot we are right now where it's so much easier to do your work remotely. How would we have done it back in the days of dial-up? Just kind of makes you think. Um, we've got a really good show for you, and shows lined up um, all throughout the week. First, I just want to promo tomorrow. Uh, we are going to be releasing, of course, our 
um, mid-major player of the year, our Becky Hammond Award winner. And so as part of that, we're hoping to talk to our Becky Hammond Award winner and put out a special podcast about that either late Tuesday night or early on Wednesday. So be on the lookout for that. So that's uh, a great one coming your way. Next week, uh, we have talked to Mike Neighbors, the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. So that is coming your way next Monday. Just a a lot to talk about in the uh, world of uh, women's basketball. And right now, for this show, we have had the chance to talk to uh, Erica Gumake. That is our feature conversation, and that's coming up just momentarily. But with COVID-19 being so in the news, one of my news colleagues, who is a huge women's basketball fan, she also works for 1080 KRLD and the Texas State Network, is uh, Barbara Schwartz, and she had the opportunity to talk this week to Isabel Harrison, the Dallas Wings forward who was playing overseas when COVID-19 really overtook Italy at that point. And she was playing in the northern part of Italy as well. So I thought just for context, this is a great place to start and to hear what Isabel Harrison, a WNBA player, went through as she was trying to uh, play overseas and then everything just got stopped. So let's hear a little bit of that. You played in Italy, and what was that like as this epidemic was starting to ramp up in Italy? Um, when it first started, it wasn't even honestly that bad. I think we had a few cases here and there, and we took like little precautions. But by the time that I left on the 13th, it was literally everywhere. They shut down everything, and that was within a three-week span of how bad it is globally now with the high death rates every day. So it was pretty scary. Did you guys, at the time, let's say, give me a week or so before you left, were there still games? And I read something in the morning news. Talk about what practice was like. We had a game against San Martino, and they canceled the game maybe three hours beforehand because there was like 20 new cases in that one day from that city. So they didn't want anybody coming into Bologna. So they canceled the game. Fast forward a week, and then we continued to practice. Um, We continued to take precautions. So when we would go into the gym, we would have to take off our outside clothes and change inside and wash our hands and then practice. And after practice, we would have to put our stuff in the bag. And it was just kind of like, wow, this is really serious because more and more cases were growing. Fast forward that next week, we were playing in Palermo, and that's in the south of Italy. They basically were kind of nervous about travel. Nobody was at the airport. Everybody had on masks and gloves, and you had to stand a certain amount of feet, and even the ticket lady. So it was kind of crazy to see. We flew to Palermo. We got in and had dinner that next morning. We had shoot-around, got back, and then they canceled the game. And then we found out that they closed the 13 regions down in Italy. And our city is in the north. I played in Bologna. And we kind of had fear that we wouldn't be able to fly back um, if they started closing the regions down. So we couldn't get a flight that night, but thank God we were able to get a flight that next morning and go back to Bologna to at least, you know, be closer to home. I couldn't imagine being, I played in Naples the year before, but I couldn't imagine being stuck in a city like we have nothing. So then we flew back to Bologna and those four days I quarantined. And practice was canceled. They canceled for the entire week. I went home 
that Thursday. What was it like getting a flight back to the United States? You know, it was crazy. I knew it was going to be a situation where I was going to have to make sure I at least had a way. On Wednesday night, when Trump made that announcement about people being banned, it freaked a lot of American players out. A lot of people were like asking, can we even go home? And if we're going to be stuck, we have to be stuck in a country that we're not from. Who knows when this is going to be over? So a lot of panicking. That whole week, I was keeping my eye on play tickets because I just was getting nervous. So that night when he made that announcement, tickets were around twenty-seven dollars to $3,000 to get back. And again, the team isn't going to pay for this. So you have to decide your health or just sitting around waiting, but in a country that is just so ravaged right now in this. So it's just like my anxiety was, <laughs> it was so high, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, can't, um, I can't imagine. Now, did you play any games in Italy where there was almost no one in the stands? Or did they do take precautions like that? Well, all of a sudden you look around and it's like 30 people you're playing in front of. Did it ever get to a point like that where it was weird? They were going to do that for our game against San Martino, but then they just ended up all around canceling it. I think they were trying to take tiny steps because they didn't know how serious it was. So when they knew more, that's when they canceled more, if that makes sense. But I had a teammate playing um, playing a game with no fans. Nobody played that day but them, and that's kind of confusing. I don't know how they played that game. They were going to do that with the NCAA here, and then they decided to say, no, this is insane. Um, how long have you been back, and have you had to be quarantined since then? Uh, I've been back for almost two weeks now. Thank God. I'm almost done with quarantine. I think my last day is tomorrow, actually. It's been lonely, but I can't tell you how much my mind is at ease knowing I'm close to my sister here in Dallas. And the Wings organization, have they been in touch with everybody? Are they trying to do anything for you? It's just like, hey, we'll teleconference or, you know, get on a mobile and wave hi. Yeah, Greg uh, called, me, called me yesterday, actually. And he checked in through the entire situation, even when I landed. I think he knew how exhausted I was, so he checked in yesterday, and he just was giving me an update on how I'm doing, first and foremost, you know, and all the girls who's back and who he's still trying to get back and who's still trying to get back and stuff. So he he had it. He had everybody's um, update, and I appreciate that from the gym. I want people to understand the seriousness of staying inside, not necessarily for themselves, but for the health care workers and the people at the hospitals. My mom, she works at a retirement home, too, so they can't take any visitors right now, obviously, because they're an at-risk age, but she's also 64. So just thinking of people like that, the reason why staying inside is so important. And again, none of this was funded. Like, I had to come out of my pocket with all this. But it's okay knowing, like, everybody's making the effort. Everybody's trying to do their part. And it just, I just really appreciate it even more for people who might not be able to fight this on their own if they do contract it. And I hope, you know, for the WNBA, I, I hope we can start on time because I look forward to summer, especially after this year. We gained so much momentum from the last season and playoffs. It was such an exciting time for the W. So I hope it is, but... You know, I think they're just taking things day by day, too, so, and figuring out like we all are. That's Dallas Wings forward Isabel Harrison talking to Barbara Schwartz here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast, and I appreciate Barbara 
for letting us uh, use that. Uh, like I said, Barbara, huge Dallas Wings fan, and uh, she's really hoping that the WNBA season gets uh, up and uh, going again and we don't have to miss out on, uh, on much more women's basketball in this country. Um, but that turns our attention to our feature conversation for this week, and that's with Erica Agumake. So she is the youngest of the four uh, Agumake sisters who all played Division One college basketball. Of course, uh, the oldest, Neka, who's been an MVP in the league. Shanae, who is an outstanding player in the league as well, and then works for ESPN. Olivia, who was a fantastic player as well for Pepperdine and then for Rice, but ran into some concussion in- issues. We'll uh, hear from uh, Erica. And then Erica, who... Uh, despite her size at five foot nine, had one of the best abilities I've ever seen just to rebound. And she was such a physical player. And I, I guess you would expect that uh, with a name like Agumake. I think their last name means warrior, right? So, um, yeah, she was a warrior. Uh, and uh, although she's a five nine guard, I mean, just her ability to create space uh, with her strength. Uh, inside the paint, uh, double doubles with great regularity, and uh, it just, you know, she'd have these games where she'd have like 20 points, 17 rebounds. I mean, she's a absolute beast, a force, and a two-time Conference USA Player of the Year. Really interesting person, and not just because she's a great basketball player, but because of what she wants to do uh, with her life after basketball. And she's been getting a pre-med degree while she was at Rice and is going to go to med school and is going to have a tough time picking. And maybe she won't even pick when it comes uh, to med school versus basketball. And we get into that a little bit as well. So something I've been wanting to do for a while and so glad it finally came to fruition. Here's my conversation with former Rice Al Erica Agumike. Uh, I know it's been quite uh, a last week for, for you and your teammates at Rice. Oh, yeah, it's been definitely um, unforeseeable um, the past few days, but uh, we're getting through it, of course. I I know that you, as an aspiring medical professional, uh, you understand what's at stake here, but at the same time, it took something that was so near and dear to your heart. Can you tell us about what last Thursday was like as you were about to start play in the conference tournament in Frisco and and things started getting shut down? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an interesting place to be at. The night before, a lot of other teams were canceling their conference tournament already. A lot of teams were limiting the attendance, and that's what they told us was going to happen. So we are like, okay, so it's probably still going to go through. Um, but it was just definitely weird because I think definitely when I was in the hotel the night before trying to study the scout because I assumed I had a game, I was just thinking in my head, you know, like, yes, I do understand, you know, the NCA, they're making good judgment calls, all of that nature. But at the same time, it was still hard because I am a 22-year-old. And it's just hard, you know, when you hear about the virus and the precautions people want you to take to go out and play a basketball game, you know, because an organization kind of says, you know, like you're good to go. So it was it was I was definitely had a mix of emotions um, during that last Wednesday before the game. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I was with my team and we just stuck to the game plan and we were ready to play. Um, We did everything. We warmed up until the seven minute mark when they told us to come back into the locker room. And that's when they told us. Um, So that's pretty much how it went. Um, But it was definitely a scenario I've never been in before. 
yeah, to be pulled off the floor like that, man, I, I can't even imagine. And I know that you had your family there. They were ready to watch you in your last uh, tournament <laughs> setting ever. Certainly, you thought you had some games after that, whether it be in the NCAA tournament or the, the WNIT. But at the same time, I, I mean, this to you is something that you built up toward, and then all of a sudden you couldn't do it. From that perspective, has that really hit home yet, or was that something that right off the bat it hit home like, oh, my gosh, this is pretty much it? Oh, no, it for sure didn't hit home immediately. Um, You still had adrenaline because we just warmed up, went out to see our family. Like, we every single second we were getting new news, like, okay, this is postponed. Oh, no, now it's canceled. But we still have NCAA tournament. Oh, postponed. Oh, wait, now it's canceled. So, no, it definitely didn't. I don't think you could process it all in your head at once. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely been a couple of days where I've been able to, like, sit down and be like, okay, you know, like, it actually probably is finished. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I know the NCAA made the best decisions that they could. Everyone else that's working along with them, too. So, there's no hard feelings with it. And um, it just reminds you that, like, the world is so much bigger than basketball. I think as college student-athletes, we can kind of get stuck in our head of, school and basketball you know because you want to be so great you want to be 100 percent at all of them but there's just so much more to the world and it's so much bigger um but it's definitely interesting to see how big platforms like the nba and things of that nature do have a lot of power and a lot of um, recognition in the world too so that's also been interesting to see those two worlds collide that's certainly the case and uh, as far as uh, you went at at rice being there for four years playing for three uh, i've I've seen a lot of people talk about okay you know maybe we had games ripped away from us where we weren't able to actually get out there on the floor but it's more about the memories that we made yeah. what what do you look back on and what are you proud of that that you helped build at rice over these last three to four years Yeah, I mean, I'm just very happy to be a part of a program that was definitely is on the uphill. Um, When I came in, our program, uh, I mean, we had good culture, of course. Coach Langley, one thing she will bring is culture and family. So we knew we had that. But um, winning wasn't something that really we did often. So I think looking back now, it's just really amazing to see that I've been a part of a program that's created a reputation for themselves in Houston, which I think is even uh, more awesome to me. I think a lot of young Houston players or just players in Texas are now looking at Rice as a possibility to be a student athlete instead of just, you know, a student. Um, So putting Rice on the map in that way has definitely been something that I'm really proud about. And then, of course, um, I think a lot of my all of my teammates are just great examples of just pure student athletes. And I think we've had so many um, high schoolers come in say like, hey, I want to be a pre-med student athlete like And then they see three people on our team doing it. So they know it's possible through visualization. So I think things of that nature have been really neat to see. And I can see that it's becoming a tradition and it's definitely becoming ingrained in our culture. Um, So I'm really happy that I was a part of that and um, maybe like left a little bit of legacy within that as well. So that's those are definitely the coolest things, I would say. Mm. Well, you, you've got to put um, academics at the forefront when you go to Rice, for sure. And, oh, yeah, no and, doubt. <laughs> and, you've, and you've certainly done that in, in your time at Rice. Like you said, being pre-med, even going through clinicals, I, I believe, at, at one point, I remember, I, I think last year, you're going through clinicals like at the end of the season and like through that spring semester, I think, while and maybe other times in your career as well. I'm not sure. I'm sure that's one of the challenges. But what were the biggest challenges of being pre-med at the same time trying to help lead a basketball team as well on campus? 
Yeah, uh, I think definitely catering to both was definitely hard and trying. There's no real balance. You just kind of have to do it and you have to. It's possible to excel at both. And I think there would be times where I'd be in practice and I'm like, okay, I have an immunology test, you know. Let me coast through this practice. Hopefully I don't get yelled at too much. Like I'm going to communicate, but, you know, not like I usually would if I was really focused because I want to go study for this test. And I learned that I couldn't have that mentality. But at the same time, I couldn't have the mentality where, oh, I have this really big game coming. Let me not focus on class. So that balance I kind of needed to figure out um, to where I can kind of put all my eggs in two baskets, which is like seems impossible, but it's kind of possible, too. Um, So that's kind of one thing that I definitely think was pretty hard being a pre-med student athlete. And then also um, when you do do pre-med, it kind of requires a lot of other things as well. So like you have to do research, you have to shadow, which is what you were talking about. You have to um, do extracurriculars. There's like a lot of things that you want to do because you want to really figure out if pre-med is really right for you. And then you also need to build your resume. So I was trying to incorporate all that with basketball which is hard for just a regular student too. So I studied abroad one summer. I tell people I went to Pamplona, Spain, um, summer of 2018, I believe, because I knew it was, it, it was a really cool opportunity that I knew would help me um, pre-med wise. Cause I studied at this place called La Universidad de Navarra, which is a medical school in Spain. And I studied there for like two months and I didn't touch a basketball whatsoever. And coach Langley looked at me and she was like, honestly, like, This is what you going into your junior season, I think would be good for you to do that. Like, honestly, you know, you need a break. There's more you're You need to learn more about the basketball IQ than more skills right now. And she had full confidence in me. And at that moment, I knew I could go and I came back. And statistically, I tell people had one of my best seasons winning my first conference USA player of the year. So um, you can really do it all. And you can you don't have to cater to one in order to do another. So. I think that was probably um, those are probably the hardest things that I had to realize. But once I did, uh, I mean, your options are limitless. Seriously, I, I love that uh, open mindset that you have as well there. And it's not, I don't mean to judge you from afar, Erica, but it seems like you have <laughs> okay. that you have a real love for basketball. Of course, uh, your whole yeah, family yeah. does. And then at the same time, you've got like a real love for learning and then pushing yourself to be your best on the classroom side as well, which just is not, that's not 100% of the uh, student athlete out there in the NCAA. And it's probably not 50% of the student athlete. And I think that's what fascinates me about you. Where do you think that love of learning and pushing yourself to be your best, but yet enjoying it as well in that area of your life? Where does that come from? I mean, I think it kind of grows as I get older too. Cause I just realize, like, especially when I start traveling, I realize that there's just so much to this world that I don't know about and that kind of frustrates me and I know I won't know everything but I think I'm just always been inquisitive because of that and then of course um my mother was all of our principals in middle school so we come from a uh, education background so she's definitely kept us leveled but she hasn't really had to like put the hammer down like a lot of all all of our sisters have just really like been self-disciplined um but I we definitely do have an education background from my mom so I will credit her as well But yeah, I think I just like just remaining inquisitive. um, I just always want to grow, not be complacent. I think a lot of people do, but it's like, are you really going to be actionary with it? And I think I've been more intentional on being actionary in the past few years. So maybe that's kind of where it comes from or like it can be seen more. Um, But I don't know. I think it's just kind of part of my characteristics, which is I'm happy it is one of mine. (laughs) 
You bet. Absolutely. Yeah. Better than the latter. Now, as far as it just the the family that you guys have, um, it, it's just uh, it, it's incredible to think about the the four Division One athletes. Of course, um, yeah. You know, with uh, with Neck and Janae going on to the WNBA. How proud were you of of them and NECA specifically stepping out there? I know Shanae was part of it as well. Being a part of getting done this amazing package for WNBA players uh, that is really up the the amount that they'll get paid, but then so much more than that, how they'll be treated in this yeah. uh, world of sports. I really can't put into words. Like I've always say I'm a proud little sister but that was definitely one moment that would be etched in my mind forever I mean they're always my role models and um I always look up to them they're definitely the reason why I do a lot of the things I do but I think that moment um where they negotiated that CBA and actually successfully did it I was just like wow like this is the stuff that's going to be in history books and those are my sisters um it's just it, it was a really surreal and neat experience and I think it just it just really reminded me how you can use your any platform you have to make any type of transformative change you want. And I think I kind of get my drive from my sisters too. So that was another example of that. And um, I mean, it's, it's really awesome what they're doing and um, what they're doing is going to last for generations to come, which I think uh, I can say for them that that honestly is a bigger accomplishment than a lot of the accolades, a lot of the temporary short-term ones that they do get. Um, and I know they're really excited about that. Let's talk about you on the basketball floor and what kind of player that you are. Um, uh, when you went over a thousand career rebounds, uh, you said uh, you tweeted something like five foot nine and a thousand career rebounds. Don't let anybody tell you that uh, you know <laughs> everything's possible. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as the old Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. Yeah. It was just amazing to see you play the game because of the things you did and it's not that you're that short necessarily but I guess short for a basketball player I mean come on (laughs) that's as tall as my mom is my mom's tall yeah Yeah, I'm short in my family because I'm a family full of giants (laughs) yeah (laughs) no I hear you Uh, but at the same time I I mean it uh, it was a a really cool accomplishment but how do you think that you got that done where did that come from that ability to go snatch the basketball even against larger players any time of the game you could get that big rebound and you're counted for that where did that come from that's just wanting it more in my opinion everybody can want it but there's always a threshold for how much someone wants it so I think like with rebounding of course yes timing is involved in things of that nature but I I think it's definitely just a tenacity to want it more like I can tell at times when I don't go rebound, I'm like, ah, I should have gone. Like, for Coach Langley always used to get on me for not offensive rebounding. Like, there'd be times I'd just stand there. But then whenever she did um, hold me accountable, she'd be like, Erica, I need you to offensive rebound. When I, like, intentionally thought about it and did it, I could get it. So I think it's just, like, wanting it and having resilience. You're not going to get every single one because, you know, like, this is not going to happen. You know, the ball bounces in a lot of places. But I think if you do just want it, consistently you you can easily get like seven plus rebounds a game I think uh, of course there are a couple things like height um, timing things of that nature like dexterity <laughs> those things kind of do matter a bit but I, I definitely think it's heart I think rebounding is definitely one of the biggest um, things that is measured by heart in basketball Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. you can get buckets too. It's not that. But 
Oh, and one of the biggest things I think about is I I didn't see every game you played. I, I saw you know a good uh, a good dozen of them, and okay, cool. uh, just always just always impressive. But the UTSA game this year was was fun to me in that you know they, they you really weren't hunting your shot early in that game. But then yeah. in the third quarter, you go like nine of nine and or like eight of eight and score eighteen points, and you know it turns from a close game into a into a not so close game. What yeah. dictated whether or not you went after your shot in college? Um, Were there just I mean, moments I, where you just said, uh, "Yeah, I'm just I'm, I think I'm going to take this thing over"? Or did it did did you just try, always try to make the right basketball play? Yeah, I definitely think I just tried to let the game come to me and not force. I definitely tried to create for others a lot more this year. And um, I think doing that kind of made me not worry about, oh, what shot am I taking? Is this my shot? All that, things of that nature. But, I mean, we don't play good games all the time. There's games where we just, you know, don't play as good as we should. And some games like that I do know at times. Like, I'll look at Coach Langley. Like, I, I know, like, hey, you know, like, you need to take a little bit more shots, you know. Because nothing's really fallen, you know, just to try to get something to roll in there. But in that UTSA game, I remember I think my teammate Sid was really shooting well the first half. So I knew I was trying to get it to her a lot. And she has really good court vision, too. So I had a lot of confidence in her. But then I think the second half, I kind of just, you know, once you make one, uh, <laughs> more tend to come, too. You just get really comfortable. That muscle memory comes really quick, too. So, But I definitely think just having, like, a selfless mindset and trying to get others involved quick especially when you um are pretty confident in the skills and talents you have I think elevating others first really helped put my mindset in the right place in order to I guess quote-unquote take over if I needed to in the second half or whenever so that's kind of how my mindset was most of the games can you look back on your career it, this close to it and be like this was the best game I ever played I remember it and uh, there's there's no doubt about it or do they just all kind of blend together at this point I, I guess my question is what's the best game you ever played can you come up with one yeah. I mean best is hard because there's been a couple games where I guess statistically I did really well but we could have lost you know so it definitely isn't in my best category where you're just feeling it and and you're you know and you know that you were doing just about everything at your optimal level and and maybe you didn't even win um or maybe it was yeah. a, a game where you only shot it five times but but you you had you know nine assists or something like that i, I was just yeah, curious. I was actually going to lean more towards that because assists were something that i tried to work on this year i got better but of course i'm no um sabrina Ionescu. i would probably say there was one game early in the season but i didn't have many points i think i might have had like 12 points 11 rebounds and eight assists or something like that like flirting with the triple double but I think that game I had the most fun I ever had um it was definitely one of our preseason games who did we play I don't even remember maybe nickel state maybe not nickel state maybe someone right after nickel state but yeah I had a lot of fun um like just getting a rebound and literally launching it for a layup no dribble hitting it to Nancy like no looks things of that nature I just like the passing was really it was really flowing for me that game so I guess that game might have been really fun this year but of course a lot of the championship games were fun too <laughs> <laughs> absolutely what's it like playing with nancy at six foot nine that's something that no almost nobody has the experience playing with you know obviously playing against six foot nine is extremely difficult what's it like playing yeah. with six foot nine and trying to get help get the best out of her 
I mean, she really gets a lot out of us, too. Um, and she's just so selfless. I think people see – I played with her since my sophomore year of high school. We've been together since then. So I've known her for a long time. She's my roommate. Um, so I I really know Nancy pretty well. And I would honestly say that, like, yes, blocks and things of that nature that she does look fun. But people don't realize, I think, at times that she's she's blocking it when our man passes us on defense. Like, things of that nature. Like, she's very selfless. And I think that's what's amazing in the game because she'll literally block it not say anything, you know, like, and it's just like, dang, like, I need to do better on defense, but you know she has your back regardless. So that's honestly probably one of the coolest things. And then she's also just a competitor. She can be feisty at times, and I think she can really elevate our team's energy because of that. So it's always been fun to play with her. And, of course, it's nice, you know, when a team, like, when a team plays you, they think they can guard you, and then you can just lob it to her for an easy layup. Um, But she's also very skilled. She can pass very well. She can dribble, she can shoot, she can do a lot. She's She moves very well for someone that's 6'9". Um, so it's just been fun. She's literally a cheat code that I've been really um, happy that I've been able to play with from high school till college. Cheat code is a good way to play. Uh, put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen your two uh, the older sisters that are in the WNBA play. I never yeah. got to see Olivia play. What kind of player was she? I know that she was going to be a starter, I, I guess, that um, would have been your sophomore year. And her junior year, she was starting early in the season, I think, at the five spot before you guys got Nancy. And, yeah. you know, obviously uh, th- those those leg problems, new knee problems, I assume, uh, ended up getting her in her career. No, what kind actually, of player was she? It was actually concussion. Oh, it was um, concussion so that yeah, got her. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. But, um, no, no worries. Uh, yeah. No but worries. what kind of player was she? And what do you guys think you could have done on the floor if you got that chance to do it uh, again at Rice the way yeah. you did it at Pepperdine? Yeah, I mean, I got to play with her at Rice. Like, every year she played in the preseason and a little bit in the conference and then, of course, a head injury. Um, So that was not fun. So I did get to – I got a little um, playing with her throughout my time at Rice. And, I mean, she honestly, out of all four of us, she could shoot the best. But she's also taller than me. So um, she's definitely one of those stretch four players. So that, that was fun, too, because I think she fit really well in our offense. She honestly, we always make jokes because she played all the hard games. She played A and M every time we played. She played UCLA. She played all the big schools, and then like she got hit in the head like right before conference started. So like she helped us in those hard games, and then of course like life came. Um, but yeah, no, she's was a very she was a very skilled player. I mean, uh, it's always fun to play with her. I think we could read each other easily on the court. Of course, people always talk about sister telepathy, but yeah, no, she's a shooter. Um, she could defend really well, one through five. So I think Coach Langley loved that. So we definitely utilized that when she was playing too. And I mean, she's fast. Yeah, it was definitely just like a a very like can do it all type of player. So it was fun to play with her for um, the time she was at Rice. Well, I, I could tell that she was going to be a, a big part of it had she been able to be on the floor. So it's yeah. It, it, it's too bad that wasn't able to happen as much as as you guys wanted to. And I'm just curious what your plans are on the floor certainly you are a player that's undersized but at the same time you've gone to the USA trials you've uh, I think you certainly could play overseas once this COVID thing's done and and then maybe even have a shot to to try to work your way on a WNBA roster I would I would guess but but what's your plan what do you want yeah I mean I'm still deciding Uh, I'm glad that my options I have options to decide about um, WNBA is a possibility this year as well. 
Um, and then, of course, medical school. I've been accepted to schools, so I know I have that as well. So I'm still with my family trying to decide. Honestly, there's a possibility I can do both because of the timing of things, which is really awesome, too. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of new information coming up soon once my family and I debrief. But definitely these times have delayed it a bit. <laughs> well, and and probably you started thinking about it a little bit more because that was going to be one of my other questions. How do you play pro ball and then go to med school at the same time that seems like a lot if uh you know getting your your pre-med stuff out of the way and playing division one was that one thing but uh pro ball and and med school is another first of all let's just let's just talk about med school and and what you want to do what kind of um specialty are are you thinking about what what kind of doctor are you going to be one day Honestly, I'm not really sure. No one in my family is does anything medicine-related or, like, in the medical field. So it's kind of been a shot in the dark for me. Um, so I don't really know what specialty. They say a lot of med students don't know going in. So I'm just keeping an open mind. I definitely think something involved with teamwork because, of course, I like that. I feel like I thrive in those environments. Um, but while I'm in med school, I'm going to do a dual degree whenever I do go. And I'll get my MBA as well because I do like organizations and like executive functions of things like learning about that. So um, maybe eventually I'll be able to like work as like in a healthcare administrator slash physician. So we'll see. But I definitely specialty wise, I don't know. I could see myself maybe as like a physician for a professional sports team, something like that. Have you gotten ready to announce where you're going to school? I know you had been um, accepted to several different and recruited by several different schools. How fun or nerve-wracking was that process, and have you made any determinations uh, about what you're doing? I mean, no, it's been really fun. I'm really grateful that my application process turned out even better than I thought it would. But no, I haven't decided on a school. I'm still like just trying to hash it all out. It's a lot of information to think about because it's where you're going to be for a long time. And it's like, um, you have to think about not just the school, what hospitals they're affiliated with, what their like culture is like. It's just a lot. <laughs> so um, I think basketball let me kind of uh, be distracted by it. But now I'm having to balance, you know, thinking about basketball future and along with the medical future. So yeah, these times have definitely been a lot of hashing out, a lot of pros and cons lists, um, talking with my sisters and my family. So yeah, I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, yeah. I, yeah, I'll put a I'll put a wager out there on that one. But I think <laughs> that um, uh, it, you know I, I think it's it's really cool that you've started a YouTube channel and a lot of it has oh, been yeah. dedicated to you know doing both and um and, and what a a pre med student might need to know and things like that. So please pub your YouTube channel. Tell us where, where we can yeah. find it and all that stuff. White plug. Yeah. So my YouTube channel, of course, on YouTube. And it's just my name, Erica Gwimike. I know that's hard to spell, but hopefully you can find it. Um, um, I'm going to change my name eventually so it's easier. But right now it's just my name, Erica Gwimike. It's a YouTube channel. Um, kind of my slogan is D1 to DR, D1 athlete to DR doctor eventually. Um, and yeah, I just talk about anything I pretty much want, but it mainly pertains to being a pre-med student athlete and then, yeah, that so I talk about a lot of there's a lot of day in the life of a game day um there's a lot of uh how to study for the MCAT um how to apply to med school so if even if you're not pre-med if you like it if you like sports it'd be cool for you or if you don't like sports but you like the pre-med there's a video for you too so it's a really it's really fun I'm going to continue it for a long time I think I'm getting a lot of good um feedback from it 
So it's been fun to do. Well, you're certainly an interesting person, so that uh, that <laughs> makes for a good YouTube channel for sure. If you Thanks. do decide to go after the WNBA, obviously you've got two people very close to you that have told you what it's what it's what it's about. Do you think they'll have frank conversations with you about okay, at five foot nine, here's what you're going to have to be able to do in order to make it? Uh, are they going to just kind of throw you to the wolves and let you figure that out your, the, yourself? You got that forward mentality and that guard height. How do you think about your possibilities in the WNBA and what you would need to do to succeed there? Um, I think what I've learned from my sisters in the WNBA is that like there's you're always there's always room to grow. Um, I mean, every single year, NECA has uh, picked up on something new to become just such an elite player. And I don't even think she's peaked yet. So I do know if I do decide to go that path that there's, of course, going to be so many things that I can get better at that maybe would mold the more typical shooting guard or mold the more typical point guard, whatever position they want me to run. So I would definitely just be open to that. And I think I have two really good. um, Honestly, I have three really good sisters who give me great advice on that. So I'm not really worried too much about that. Um, but I definitely do know with our Gwimike name, household name, that they know <laughs> the person they're going to get is going to re- work really hard, be respectful, and hopefully just a good person for their WNBA program. So, yeah, so I think I'm just definitely going to be a growth type of uh, mindset if I do decide to go about that because there's so many things that I can get better at, especially as a 5'9 guard. Um, so, yeah, I'm not too worried about it, but, um, yeah, I'm expecting conversations, of course, and I really would love to – hear about things I can get better at. So it will be cool and interesting to hear about that in the next few months. No doubt. Really yeah. cool stuff. And there's so much to think about for you. And and, and so I, I, for the, the way the last week has gone, I just wanted to give you my, on the, on the one hand, condolences, if you will, but on the other hand, yeah. congratulations on an incredible career at, at Rice so and going back to high school and, and all that stuff. You've been so fun to watch play, and I hope that uh, we get to watch you play again at the pro level uh, down the line if that's what you choose to do. But uh, you, you've got a lot of success out in front of you. Thank you so much for your time, Erica. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. <laughs> there she is, Erica Gumake here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Uh, what a fun person. Check out her YouTube channel, Erica Gumake. She's got so many great videos there where she's been kind of vlogging her life over the last few months and giving you a sense uh, of what it's like to apply for med school uh, while at the same time trying to uh, complete your eligibility as a college basketball player, not just any college basketball, an elite college basketball player as well. So thanks so much to Erica for her time. Good luck in her future. Certainly somebody that I'm going to be watching closely I've seen her play a lot over the years, and uh, any time you you get a chance to see great players like that up close in person, you want to follow their careers down the line, and uh, I certainly will be. I encourage you to do the same as well. And I also encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Like I said, we've got Mike Neighbors coming up next week. We've got uh, the announcement of the Becky Hammond Award coming up this week as well, so you don't want to miss that. Make sure you're subscribed on wherever you get your podcasts. And then on Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. I would love to uh, read your review on the air if uh, you choose to do that. And several of you have done that, so I appreciate that. Uh, But it just helps other people find the podcast. That's That's the basic thing, is when somebody types in women's basketball, 
we want to be one of the first things that come up. And that's because you're listening. That's because you're rating and reviewing. So thank you so much. The announcer on the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis. Thanks so much to Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com. He is responsible for the music on the podcast. And Aaron Barzilai is the hardworking executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I'm your host, John Little, reminding you that at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats.